But I think we have three things that will change a lot. You know, Metaverse is going to be, receive a lot of investments on that. Web 3.0 getting very strong. And also AI is going to be basically the gas of everything. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. Innovation. It's a big buzzword today, but who are the key players that actually drive the change forward in industries like tech, finance, and advertising? Today on the show, I'm sitting down with one of the creative leaders and entrepreneurs helping to actually drive transformation today. Guga Stucco has led in digital banking, startup investments, e-commerce, and more, and he's just getting started. We sit down for a fascinating discussion on AI, open banking, and how technology is driving industry transformations. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Good morning. Thanks for joining. Good morning, Paul. It's it's a pleasure uh, to be here. So uh, you have been at the center of changing business models and the technology that supports them for 20 years. What comes first? Is it a, a business problem that's being solved or is it a new technology that someone decides to adopt? Yeah, that, that that's a very good question, Paul, because what I realized is technology is tools that you can use to do a better job. So basically, you have like a business problem and you can use the tools to solve this business problem. Uh, and what happened is that the people get so excited about technology and everything that the technology became, you know, the, the, the center of everything. But on the reality, uh, we use technology to help us to create businesses, to create companies, you know, to solve problems. Uh, and that's very important for us uh, to understand that. So what I realized is if you know, if you have a lot of tools in your belt, you know, remember Batman, you know, they have a lot of tools, you know, so if you have more tools in, in your belt means that you can do better things, you can do better business, you can solve better problems. So technology, it's evolving, you know, every day. And actually, you need to keep up with that, you know, and use, you know, the best of, uh, of what we have to solve a problem. So that's very important. So, so sometimes people mistake that. And it's interesting because you, you've obviously spent a lot of time in, in some more mature businesses like banking. How do you help them see that maybe it isn't the newest technology that will fulfill that, you know, fix that business problem? Um, so many, so many big companies end up with twenty different ways to fix a problem, and they lose sight of the problem. How do you help them? stay focused on the problem. Yeah, so another interesting question. And what happened on the bank was interesting because basically we created in Brazil at the time the first digital bank uh, here and also the first one to be approved by a central bank. So it's not only the bank that you had you know, issues you know, to convince them about the technology, but also the regulators. And it's interesting because when we show all the technology that and everything that was possible, you know, uh, they see that as uh, science fiction, you know, in the beginning, because uh, it, it's easy to understand. You know, technology goes very fast, you know, and then you were in the banking industry like for 20, 30 years. And then you can say that everything that they are doing could be changed by an app, you know, is something like quite, quite of surreal for them uh, at, at that time. What I realized is though the main problem is not the technology itself, but it's uh, the culture that you have inside. And how do you explain that? Uh, you cannot come 
and say, okay, I'm going to change everything that you, uh, everybody do and going to do everything different because I have a new technology here uh, that people are going to be afraid. And it's automatically that the human being, you know, when they see a problem, they see a risk, you know, they fight against it. You know, so uh, that happens with me. You know, I came with all the technology and everything, and people look at me and said, no, this guy's crazy. You know, we cannot do that. It's a risk for the system, actually, you know. I remember because if you open a bank account, uh, it's a fraudulent bank account, uh, what happens, like, you, you could have issues even with the police, right? The bank has issues. And if you're going to open the bank account through the app, who's the responsible? You know, because the bank manager is responsible if you are in a branch, you know, and then if I'm going to open it through the app, who is responsible, you know? So we need to change, we had to change many things at that time. But actually, we realize when the things get right, when we put everybody on the same boat and say, look, well, we're not going to change, you know, like your job or the way that we're doing, but we want your experience to make that happen better. You know, so I want to understand how you do, what's the problems, and how we are going to include that or guarantee that the technology, you know, involves uh, all of that. So when we add everybody, you know, to the same page, the things starts, you know, to, to happen. And that goes even to the legal, you know, because at that time, the legal said that it was impossible, that we cannot do it, didn't approve it. You know, because we have, you know, some issues and that could be, you know, a problem for, for the bank. And then I came to the legal and said, so let's try to make a, a kind of a business plan to, to measure the risk. You know, so it's going to be like a million dollars, two million dollars, you know, the, uh, what, what you could face. I remember at the time that you came to like, I think it was five million dollars that you have a risk of that, you know, but it's a project of a billion dollars. You know, and then I say, look, we have a, a risk of $5 million in a billion-dollar project. So it's quite, you know, <laughs> easy to do. But what happens? If we had that risk, that $5 million, you know, the people on the legal will not receive their bonus. So, of course, they will fight against it. So on the end, to make part of the project to happen is to recreate, you know, the bonus of everybody to everybody look to the same you know, same way, you know, I cannot say, look, we're going to have this risk and could, could happen that. I cannot, you know, hurt, you know, the legal department because of that, because there's no other way. Uh, and when we adjust the bonus, you know, I say, look, the bonus is not related to the risk that you guys are going to have, but also to the success of the project, you know, everything starts to get easier. It's fascinating. We, you know, we've now done, I don't know, like 25 transform it forwards and almost every single one of them, the challenges come down to change management and culture. It's rarely a technology problem. It's rarely a, an understanding of the business problem. It is how do you get there from here? And I think it's an interesting point to try to make it, I like how you say, you know, get, get everyone on the same page, you know, get everyone on the bus. I think someone else has used that example exactly. So, so do you believe that in those cases, banking is, uh, you know, a more mature industry, uh, especially in, you know, you're in Brazil. Is there a difference in more emerging economies with, with different perspectives on risk as an example like that? Or do you think that that is a consistent piece regardless of the industry, regardless of the region, regardless of the regulator? Yeah, I can tell you that we have a consistency, you know, in all of the world. Brazil is an emerging market, 
but it's a quite a different market because, you know, the banking system is very advanced. And it's advanced because of we had a lot of inflation in the past. So your, uh, we had to connect uh, real-time all the banks like in the 90s. Uh, so we have a, a, quite an interesting, you know, banking industry and technology around it. We have, for example, today PIX that you can send money real-time. Uh, and this is connected to all the banks and connected to the central bank, which is quite a, quite a difference between what we see on the wallets, you know, around the world. But then when you come to Europe, you know, for example, you know, like they are, they are afraid, more afraid than I see here in Brazil, for example, because, you know, the regulators, you know, all the bureaucracy, you know, like you cannot, you know, change that. What I realize is that some of the emerging countries, I cannot tell from all of them, but they are more uh, entrepreneur, you know, they accept the risk in a better way. So they can move fast or they can, you know, change faster than a more mature economy. Speaking of Europe, for example, the cases that I'm facing in Europe is much harder to solve than what is happening in Brazil. Because they say the law follows these regulations, you know, and all of that, so it cannot change. And to change that is very hard. In Brazil, we changed actually, you know, the law, you know, uh, to allow, uh, you know, to open a bank account through the mobile phone. So we go to Europe today, and if you're going to open like a, a bank account in Portugal, it's an example, you cannot do that online. I think that's a, a worldwide problem. And when it's more mature and more advanced, sometimes, you know, it takes more time to do it. So, uh, you know, you, you're a leader in um, some of the the more uh, cutting edge is probably not the right word anymore. Uh, things like W three and blockchain and AI. If it's if it's too difficult in some more mature economies to open a bank account online, how are they going to deal with a highly decentralized finance, for example, or a highly decentralized currency in the future? Yeah, that's something that's happening, and you cannot run of that. Of course, we can come with the regulation and try to block that that part, but I don't see that happen because uh, we have two things in the way of Web 3.0. One good example, it's about like WeBank from China, uh, and I saw how they, they operate, you know, so they have like their banking system all in blockchain. So they're using the blockchain not, you know, as a crypto uh, on, on the first step, but as a back office of everything. In other words, they can open bank accounts in all of the world. They have the same system and they just connect APIs, you know, to get, you know, the final step. So they want to operate in Brazil. They connect an API with a bank in Brazil. But, you know, all the core banking is running on blockchain. So it's one system goes worldwide. So we can come to this, this area. I think like blockchain is involving very fast and that you helps on the back office of everything. But of course, if they involved and became like one system, you know, worldwide, you know, when, when we have on the front, which is a token, you know, that could be very powerful. So what I see that happen uh, is the following. We have like decentralized, you know, finance that's happening very fast, you know, and the regulators became a little bit afraid of that. But also when they use, you know, this technology, even from centralized systems, it works much better than what it is today. So we are seeing today a kind of a, a cold war, you know, in the middle of that, because 
China is launching their 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 token, you know, the their CBDC. They want to offer that worldwide. And when you go to the US, for example, you're going to speak like digital dollars, right? You know, I think what, what US did is a quite an interesting thing. They said, okay, I'm not going to launch digital dollars right now. But if you are a company and if you make your token and your token is backed, you know, in dollars, I will allow you to issue the token. So, for example, what Facebook was trying to do, you know, and they stop it. But what to have some other, you know, companies uh, trying to create tokens that's backed in dollars. It's quite an interesting thing because, you know, the government could maintain, you know, their uh, operation. But they, at the same time, they use, you know, all the technology and how to be fast, you know, and all of that. But in the Facebook example, it didn't work. Is did, did it not work because they were Facebook and there was too much external pressure, that change in that culture extending beyond the, the boundaries of the company? Or was it because the, the world is not ready to accept a fiat of another fiat <laughs> as an example yeah. in that case? Yeah. Well, in my, my opinion, you know, uh, I can say was the following. Like, if it was not Facebook, it will work. But what happened is that if Facebook do that, they became uh, too strong because of uh, the penetrate the worldwide penetration that Facebook has, and that will open up, you know, too many issues and real issues that you need to understand. You know, I, I give you an example. So imagine that I have like a Facebook coin uh, here in Brazil inside WhatsApp, which WhatsApp is the leader by far. You know, it's in the phone of everybody, and everybody uses it as a, the first app. So it means that I can receive my salary, you know, and I can change my salary to Facebook coins. In other words, I'm going to be changing my salary to dollars. That you hurt the economy here in a good or in a bad sense, depends the way that you look at. But, you know, the central bank will lose a lot of power, you know, because, you know, all the Brazilians, they have WhatsApp. And not necessarily all the Brazilians, they have like one bank. They have different banks, you know. So WhatsApp is powerful than any the, the biggest bank in Brazil, they have like 20, 30 million people. You know, Facebook has more than 100 million. So, yeah, so imagine that. So I, in my opinion, it was because of that. You know, the impact is going to be too high. Yeah, a lot of issues you happen. So if you start small, it's like a sandbox. You know, we need, we need a sandbox for that. You know, actually, you know, uh, Facebook will not be a sandbox to understand how this technology will revolutionize everything. So we need a sandbox. So that's why Facebook didn't happen, in my opinion. But, you know, have other things, you know, uh, a lot of projects happening. So let's see which one will be like the kind of the official sandbox, you know, for the government and for U.S. to understand what's going on. I think that there will be companies that try to lead that way. I think it makes sense for a company to lead that way. But it's interesting to look at China, for example, and how they're considering the digital yuan and how it could radically change the shape of global settlements if they require a level of settling to occur on a digital Chinese yuan as opposed to typically settling in euros or dollars or, or something like that. Do you have a perspective on, on what, what might happen there? So imagine uh, on the China way, you know, what I, what, what I imagine on my side here. China is going to become one of the biggest countries in the world in terms of commerce. And it's going to be the first time that you have one of the, the biggest, you know, uh, countries that their money just, you know, nobody wants. So if you're going to come with a, 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 a yuan here in Brazil, like nobody wants that. 
So if you're gonna, if you, in Brazil, like you get an exporter and they're gonna sell, uh, uh, for example, iron, you know, they're gonna sell, you know, uh, any commodities, they don't want to receive that in yuan or digital yuan. They want to receive in dollars, right? So the people trust dollars and don't trust yuan. So it's going to be very hard for them, even being like, you know, the first, you know, economy like in 2030 or something like that, for the world to accept, you know, the yuan as a, as a, as a currency. So what they're doing, you know, they understand that. So if they create a token, instead of going on the B2B, let's say that, you know, to compete on this, uh, on this area, they go on the B2C. So they are uh, sending products worldwide. So you can get, you know, Alibaba, you know, have like Shane, we have like different, you know, applications, you know, that's growing worldwide. So if I have like a digital yuan and I put that on my wallet, I will pay 10% less. Let's imagine something like that, right? What happens? What happens is they're going to have like millions of people that will, you know, buy digital yuan just, you know, to trade, you know, on their Alibaba accounts, you know, to their Shein accounts to get, to get a better price. So I see China coming to the world, you know, on the B2C part, you know, and creating a very interesting system, by the way. I could probably, you know, buy some digital yuans because, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting for me because I'm going to go maybe on TikTok, you know, or but on Shein or Alibaba or all of that, I will have some benefits. So imagine, you know, if that starts happening, their currency is going to be on the hands of everybody, you know, and not on the hands of companies on the first, you know, way, but on the hands of the people. It's fascinating. So you and I, uh, we share a strong belief in how much better it is when it's, uh, you look at the world as open, right? As the walls come down and companies start to think about themselves, but you talked a little bit about the fear on the change side, how does the world get to truly be open um, through this combination of decentralized connections, whether that's blockchain or or just looking at the world with an API first approach? Where where do you see the world going in terms of opening everything, as as, as we talked about? What happened is that you know when you open you know your your company, your APIs, your services, you became more powerful. And you create network effect and you access more data. In other words, when I speak about network effects, users and data, you know, that's the future. You know, actually, when you see it as a company, you're going to see their KPIs, you're going to see how many users they have, you know, what's the data they're collecting, you know, how they manage this data, you know, with AI or whatever, you know, and, and that goes. So open up your company. It's key for the success, Right. And what's happening that the companies understand that, you know, like the big techs starts with that. So if you're going to use Google Maps, for, a good example is here in Brazil. You know, if you're going to come from my house to the mall, you know, I need to ask Google. We don't have any Brazilian company who could give me, you know, the best route is Google or Google Maps or Waze. So that's interesting. And if you get an Uber, Uber is going to use, you know, also Google, you know, to, to see the best route. So that happens because they open up their APIs. Right, and that you can connect in everything, and 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 it's it's better to connect instead to build, you know, all of that. But then it starts to happen with the governments. You know, that's what we see. You know, uh, when you speak about uh, tokens in China, is tokens start to open up their APIs. You know, that you can connect, for example, their token on your wallet. 
that's an example of being open. Uh, what happens when you get open is that when you speak about regulation, you know, regulation is something that comes to protect you. It's important to be protected. If something happened, you know, what can I do? If a company do something that's not good for, for the people, what can I do? Uh, so then comes regulation. What's the problem with regulation that everybody faces is that the regulation don't follow the same velocity of the technology and, and of the business nowadays. So then became a bureaucracy. When regulation becomes a bureaucracy, that's a big problem. But if the regulation involves to being open as well, they could, you know, manage and help the open world, the open revolution to happen in a more safe way uh, because they will happen. That's no other way. So if the regulation goes together, it's going to be much easier. So imagine that, for example, in US, if you're going to create a token or something like that, we have like a regulator sandbox, right? So the, the same way that you do, you know, when you're going to create something. So and the regulator sandbox allows you to do. And they're going to be, but they give you some restrictions and are going to be looking to all the numbers about what's happening. They will learn much faster. You know, if that happens, they will understand what is good, what is bad, what's the problems and not is going to be a lot of assumptions that what it is today. You know, so Facebook's not uh, it's better not to launch their token because that could happen. These, that, that or that. So it's assumptions. Right. But if they allowed Facebook to open, you know, to create their coins in a sandbox and uh, and. For example, you know, uh, the government is going to be looking to that. The regulator is going to be following the sandbox and learning with that. You know, that's powerful. You know, that's, that's the way to compete with China, for example. So the next, uh, in my opinion, is that open revolution is no way to come back. But we, we're going to go to some times that you need regulators. And if the regulators don't involve, we're going to start having, you know, problems. Well, there's a couple of good examples recently where the regulators are are actually driving the transformation. Open banking is an example. The Australian data privacy rules and portability rules are an example. Do you do you see that more progressive governments will help to drive that faster, or do you still think that the consumer will drive the requirements that they want and force everyone to be more open? Yeah, so I think we have both. Usually, you know, the consumer is driving that, but like in Brazil, the regulators of, of the central bank in Brazil probably, in my opinion, you know, is one of the best in the world. You know, what they're doing, they're really putting pressure on the system. So they are open up the system, you know, they're creating APIs, they have regulatory sandbox here. So everything, some part of what I'm saying, like if you want to launch a token, if Facebook was in Brazil, you know, it's going to be much easier for them to launch the token, you know, because they're not going to be able to do the way that they want. But the central bank will open up for, for them like a regulatory sandbox, like what is it, exists today in Brazil, a regulatory sandbox for the central bank. But then if you go to CVM, which is equivalent to, to, you know, uh, to SAC in, in the US, they're open up, but not the same way. It's not so, so fast like, as the central bank is doing. So then... You know, we start like, okay, but if you go to tokens and stuff, you go to security, then the thing starts to, to, to slow down. And when you come to other parts of the government, then it stops forever. That takes like years, you know, to take uh, to something ch uh, happens. So that will depends. I, I think what Australia did is good. I think what UK also doing with open banking, you know, is a good example, even in Europe uh, or in Brazil, good example, but that not happen as a government overall. 
You know, that happens in some parts. So in Brazil, the financial revolution, you know, the response of the financial revolution in Brazil is the central bank and uh, it, it was not the companies, it not, was not the banks. The banks are, uh, basically are afraid of too much uh, opening, you know, happening right now. So it's interesting to see what will happen in the future. Speaking of the future, you, you know, you're obviously a futurist in the way that you're out in the world talking about where things are going. What are the two or three things that you're most excited to see over the next three to five years? Well, for sure, I'm, I'm really excited about like three things. You know, I'm excited about the metaverse, you know, and how the things will evolve on metaverse, Web 3.0 and AI. Basically, these three uh, main topics, you know, because it's really main topics, it's, it's big things in all of that. But I think we have three things that will change a lot. You know, Metaverse is going to receive a lot of investments on that. So we're going to see a lot of things happening on top of that. We're going to see Web 3.0 getting very strong. And also AI is going to be basically the gas of everything. Uh, so these three things, in my opinion, are going to be, you know, are really disrupting, you know, the market in the next three years and a lot of investments in all of them. It's, it's fascinating. I, I think that each of those things, we're just now scratching the surface. And, and when people are thinking about, you know, things like NFTs, like I, I don't think most people see just exactly how far that's all going to go into our lives over the course of the next five or 10 years. So it's a fascinating place to be for you, I, I would imagine. Yeah, no, it is. And actually, a lot of investments and following startups, you know, and seeing, you know, what they're creating. Of course, you know, we have a lot of buzz, you know, on these three words. So we need to understand what's really disruption and what's not. But I'm seeing many things happening because on the AI, for example, you know, AI is fascinating, but you need data. You need data, you know, for that. And we're on the beginning of the beginning to collect, you know, all the data that's needed. You know, we're going to see uh, AI changed faces, you know, with 5G, you know, and now the integration of the world on the Internet, you know, and then we're going to start collecting data in the real way. So not only, you know, the data that we collect when you browse on the Internet, but the data that you receive, you know, in, uh, in uh, our everyday lives, you know, on the mobile, you know, on, on the web. And also, you know, when you drive your car, you know, and you consume something, you know, and go. And then when you collect all this data and with the processing power, you know, that's involving very fast, then you have a new thing, you know, that will change. So we still have, like, that's why I say, like, we have more three years, you know, to get this kind of new data to come in and then start and see, you know, like AI really happens. When you go to the metaverse, you know, like, in my opinion, we have like a kind of a two ways. We have one metaverse that's below the superface and another metaverse that's above the, the superface. In other words, we have VR, that's when you integrate it, you know, the, all the world. And you have AR when you program, you know, the world around you. So uh, to get that done, we still need some equipment. You know, we're going to see like Apple launching their glasses. You know, we're going to see Facebook launching their, their, their glasses as well. We're going to have new technology for, to keep that things more in a day-by-day -day life. So we still need that happen, you know, to see a real metaverse you know, happens around. But as soon as we have that, you know, like like Pokemon Go, like you can program something around you, 
you know, that could be, you know, like an advertising, you know, could be uh, software, could be education, whatever. So we need more two years for that. And on Web 3.0, the same thing. You know, I think the market is maturing. You know, the technologies are evolving. And in the next two years, I'm going to start having some, some, some blockchains, you know, and, and even some system integrated that are going to start seeing that on the real world. In other words, not only about tokens, you know, but the tokens on the metaverse, but also, you know, like bankings, banks start creating their core bankings on blockchain. And DeFi starting, you know, be a kind of, uh, even the banks using DeFi, you know, to lend money and all of that. So when you see all of that happening, you know, then we have a different world. So the next three years is going to be a lot of changes. There's a lot of changes for all of us, that's for sure. So you've been, uh, you've been very generous with your time today. As I end, I always ask everyone the same question. When the day is over and uh, you're trying to relax, what kind of music do you like to listen to? I have different ones, you know, in the reality, you know, uh, because sometimes I just like, like a kind of a lounge music, you know, to get more relaxed. But nowadays I change a little bit, you know, because uh, I'm doing some meditation you know, and usually on the end of the day or something, I try to do some meditation, you know, and then I use some mantras and uh, and some musics to help that. You know, by the way, even using binaural music, you know, for at least 20 minutes, that's kind of uh, keep my mind uh, on the right path. So that's what I'm doing nowadays. That's fascinating. I'll have to try that. Well, Guga, thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, coming on with us today and I wish you all the best. Yeah, Paul, it was a pleasure. Talking to Guga is fascinating. Here are some of the key takeaways from our talk. First, some business leaders easily become overly excited by the technology itself, forgetting why they adopted it in the first place. While it's important to keep up with technology revolutions, it's essential to remember what problem you're really trying to solve. Second, Change management gets easier when business leaders do their best to ensure everyone is on the same page. Leaders need to remind everyone within an organization that the new technology being implemented is to improve their experience, not simply to make their lives more complicated. Third, the speed at which different countries adopt new technologies largely depends on their economic maturity. For example, inflation was a huge driver for Brazil's economic acceleration. But more mature countries in Europe, for example, might be slower to adopt advanced technologies because of strict regulations or entrenched bureaucracy. And fourth, we are about to see a brave new world where platforms like WhatsApp and Facebook have the potential to become more powerful than the world's biggest banks. Tokens and emerging digital currencies need to be tested in sandbox environments so companies and their regulators can discover potential risks before the tokens are used on a broader scale. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.